Greetings, children, and welcome to my chamber. My name is Rotherick Gastblood, and I'm your host of Tales from the Dark Chamber. This week, we have a great show for you. Tales to make your skin crawl. Each week, my chambermate and I read a scary tale that we found on the internet, or perhaps left under some corpse. Either way, we think you're going to like it, and we're just dying for you to hear it. So sit right back, light a candle, and let's have a good evening. <laughs> ah, Woody, there you are. Reading, I see. Oh, yeah. And the book is? Uh, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Ah, gripping, isn't it? Well, it's interesting to say the least. You know, I thought that Mr. Hyde was some sort of oversized, hulking, hair-covered brute of a monster. Uh-huh. But in the book, Hyde is a release of inner vices that could not be satisfied by Dr. Jekyll. Kind of makes you wonder. Ah, but Woody, you know that's a novel written by Robert Louis Stevenson. You mean the same one who wrote Treasure Island? Exactly. Wow. And I wonder if there is any basis of medical precedent that prove a serum could actually alter a person's state of being. Oh, there is. Eh? Certainly. Case in point, you're impossible to be social with in the morning until you've had your coffee. Coffee. Right. Sheesh. Just do me a favor, Woody. Don't go messing around the laboratory searching for that serum. Okay, Rothrick. I remember the last time I found a book in the library and tried some hoodoo. My eyebrows still haven't completely grown back. So, what's the latest on Stan and the group tonight, Woody? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, after last episode, we find that Stan has made a deal with Bisturgia to find Bethine. The team sets off to find this super demon only to encounter Hector and... Well, you'll just have to give it a listen. It's great. Why the Hell Was Craig Pricked? Part 5 By Sunfred A melange of emotions swarmed through my heart before I put the phone to my ear. I didn't say anything. My throat was so dry I couldn't even master a hello. I could hear deep breathing on the other end. Rebecca, Joseph, Bernardo, and T1 were all silently staring at me, wondering what was going on. For about 30 seconds, the person on the other end of the call didn't say anything either. He just breathed in and out heavily like an asthmatic, which made my stomach cramp with anxiety. Stanford! A weak, soft, familiar voice finally spoke up. It was not the voice of Craig. It was a voice that I thought I would never hear again. It was the voice of Bethine. I didn't respond. My mind was still scrambling to find the words to reply when the demon spoke again. <coughs> I know you're there, dear, the demon called for a good minute before continuing. I bet you have a lot of questions. How did I survive? Why did I possess Craig? Why did I kill your parents? 
Where am I now? I bet part of you still wants to know why I wanted to possess you in the first place. But none of that matters anymore, does it? (coughs) Again, the demon coughed badly, and I was convinced it was not in its best health. Bethim shouted out the next few words with such ferocity, I nearly dropped my phone. You thought you tricked me. You thought you were smart, huh? Well, look where that got you. Your parents are dead. Your best friend's parents are dead. And dear old Craig here is nothing but my puppet now. (laughs) Again, more coughing. I know you're probably thinking of revenge, but you will never find me. Your friend is here, resisting me, and that is killing him. Soon I will move on to someone else. I may try to get your buddy's body healed up before it fails, and he finally kicks the bucket. It will be all because of you. It's your damn fault. I finally got up the strength to answer back, and I said, Maybe you're right. It is my fault. But you're wrong about one thing. I know where you are and I'm coming to kill you and save my friend. I hung up and resisted the urge to throw my phone on the floor. I couldn't speak with the demon anymore. Everyone in the room stared expectantly at me, hoping that I fill them in on what's going on. I told them Bathim had fully possessed Craig, and he had called to taunt me. I told them we have to go after the demon right now. Rebecca startled me by asking how I knew where the demon is. Joseph folded his arms and looked at me with a stare that said, Let's see how much you can bullshit the girl who loves you and cares about you. Again, I had a chance to come clean, but I didn't. I dug my hole deeper. I told Rebecca of the bikers we met and how they had special ways of tracking down demons. Bernardo's annoyance finally made him snap. Now you look here. I know you all want to kill this demon. But you have to remember that we have a mafia hit squad hunting us down. I don't think it's smart to go around town looking for this demon because it would make life easier for our pursuers. Actually, Bathim is not here. He is in Mexico, I announced. There was confusion and surprise on all the faces in the room, except for T1. I couldn't read his facial expression because of his mask. But Joseph, Rebecca, and Bernardo were definitely shocked. But I hadn't told them the real shocking news. But Sturger had shown me a clear vision of the exact place Bethim was, but had also shown me who he was with. In fact, Bethim is with Hector. The mafia boss has witches who are using dark magic to try and heal the demon. Bethim is still weak from... <sighs> I gagged before continuing. The Pope's sweat we used on him before. If we go after the demon right now, we will also be able to get the man who is trying to kill you. Bernardo slowly walked up to me and looked me dead in the eyes. Are you lying to us? Are you? I shook my head. My agency has been looking for Hector for years, and we couldn't find a trace of him. And now you just happen to know his exact location? Sweat gathered on the back of my armpits as Bernardo stared fiercely at me. If you are lying just to get my niece to come with you, I'm not lying, I cut him off. We had an angry stare off for some seconds before Rebecca walked between us and asked me, D, 
The bikers were able to get you all this information? There was a strong hint of suspicion in her voice. Yes, but I can't get into the specifics right now. We need to get a move on because the demon is killing Craig with every second we waste. You will just have to trust me. I know where they are. Are you all with me? Rebecca squeezed my hand and assured me once again that she is with me. Joseph said, Let me check my schedule. He looked at the inside of his palm for a while and said, Well, I am pretty busy. I felt my heart sank. I assumed he didn't want to work with me anymore because I made a deal with Budsturja. He then looked up at me and said, Because of the roommate code, I have no choice but to stick with you. So, I'm in. I couldn't help but smile. But wait, how are we going to Mexico with all our guns and stuff? I don't even think I have my passport, Joseph said. I can take care of that, Bernardo spoke up. We all cramped into the car with an exterior blemished with bullet holes and smashed windows. T1 drove us to a clearing just outside of town where we boarded a private jet. That's when I began to understand the power and wealth of Bernardo's organization. I had never been on a private jet before, and at one point I really thought I would die without boarding one. During the flight, Bernardo sat next to me and asked, So how exactly do you plan on killing this demon? I hadn't really thought about that. I was mostly depending on our holy water and crucifixes to do the job. It was then I realized I was probably building castles in the air. I just blankly stared at Bernardo like I didn't understand the question. He shook his head and reached into his bag. He took out a golden rectangular case with numerous carvings on its side. From inside the case, he took out a golden dagger with a sharp, long blade and a thick handle with several hieroglyphics drawn in dark green. After a mission in Egypt, the locals gave me this dagger as a gift. It's a very rare artifact. In ancient Egypt, they used to bury the pharaohs with these daggers, which they considered sacred. Magicians would cast a powerful spell on the dagger before it was placed in the pharaoh's tomb. The dagger was meant to guide the pharaoh to a pleasant afterlife. Ancient Egyptians believed the pharaoh would use the dagger to fight off demons and evil spirits as he journeyed to paradise. It is believed if the dagger makes the slightest contact with the body of a possessed person, it can exorcise the demon back to hell. Here you go. Take it. But, but I can't stab Craig. He would die, I protested. You don't have to stab him. All you have to do is make sure the dagger touches the skin. Even a small cut would remove the evil within him. I took the dagger and studied it. It looked glorious. I could see my reflection from the shiny blade. Rebecca's furrowing looks didn't approve, but the trucker cap looked good on me. Thanks, I said to Bernardo. He stared intently at me and said, I don't want anything bad to end up happening to Rebecca. Do you understand me? I nodded and he mumbled something under his breath before he looked out of the window for the rest of the journey. While the flight was luxurious, it was also ridiculously fast. I told Bernardo of where exactly we needed to go and he communicated with the pilot. It took us just under an hour to get to the small town in central Mexico. Bernardo told us that his jet is not landing, so we have to sky jump to the ground. He gave each of us a parachute and rapidly explained the ten steps to a safe landing. I was still in the middle of asking him to explain step one again when he pushed me out of the jet. As gravity violently pulled me down, 
I honestly thought I was going to die. Rebecca flew into view from above and wrapped her legs around my waist. She pulled on her parachute and it was smooth sailing from then on until we reached the ground. She apologized for her uncle's behavior, but I told her not to worry about it. It was still in the middle of the night when we arrived. We had all landed outside the town in an industrial area. Our destination was an old abandoned steel-making building at the edge of the industrial sector. From where we landed, we had a ten-minute walk ahead of us to get to the building. As we walked, we raided our weapons. Bernardo had supplied us with guns and real bullets for killing the clay troopers. After my inglorious moment with a shotgun, I decided to take two Glock pistols as my armor. Bernardo seemed unimpressed, but I still kept my revolver with rubber bullets and a wooden crucifix for Bethim. Rebecca and Joseph both had heavy artillery. As I said before, I'm not a gun guy, so I really don't know the types of heavy-duty arsenal they had. T1 was also equipped with formidable armament. In both hands, he had machine guns and a shotgun strapped to his back. Several bullets were fastened on a belt that haltered across his chest. Bernardo also provided us with bulletproof vests and radios. Since he had established himself as the leader, we went over an intricate stealthy plan that I can't fully recall, but I remember it involved us swinging down on ropes, using smoke grenades, and ended up with him tranquilizing and apprehending Hector and his crew. I don't think Bernardo communicated with his agency that he was going after Hector. I think he wanted the honors of catching the rogue mafia leader for himself, because shouldn't he have called for backup on a mission like this? Anyway, this was none of my business. Bernardo's plan never came to being, because as he finalized telling us about it, it was interrupted by the humming sound in the distance. We followed the humming noises, which led us exactly to our destination. The building was identical to my vision, a brown, bricked, decaying edifice with three stories. It was wide enough to cover 100 feet of land. The many single-hung windows of the building were covered with dust, and most were broken. The walls had been the target of countless graffiti, and the crimson roof was heavily littered with bird droppings. Outside of the building was mostly dust, with a few patches of tall brown grass. A couple of black vans were sporadically parked outside the building. A few feet in front of the rusted door entrance is where the humming came from. Bernardo fervently signaled for us to get down and find cover. About ten or more clay troopers were standing around a bonfire. They were humming like a church choir, stumping their feet to the ground like sedated tap dancers and clapping their hands like a group of excited seals. Their scrutinized dance was immensely comical, but given the seriousness of our mission, I dared not laugh. Bernardo examined the clay building and the humming clay troopers through his binoculars and waved us to move forward. The clay troopers, who appeared unarmed, continued with their humming, feet stumping and hand clapping. We fervently approached the group as the patches of tall brown grass gave us enough cover not to be easily detected. Hum, stump, and clap. We were moving in pairs except for Bernardo. Hum, stump, and clap. I was with Rebecca and Joseph was with T1. Hum, stump, and clap. Bernardo was ahead of us, moving rapidly as his eyes constantly shifted from the troopers around the bonfire to the passel of windows of the building. Hum, stump, and clap. I think Bernardo sensed what I felt. Something seemed off about the whole situation. A nagging thought in the back of my head told me we were running into a trap. Hum, stump, and clap. I don't know how Bernardo did it, 
Maybe he used invisible drones or walked around with a ghost sniper we couldn't see. But just as Rebecca's message said, when he snapped his fingers, he shot his target. It was amazing to see. When we were close enough to see the entrance, I saw Bernardo raise his hand, snap his fingers, and I heard a loud bang. One of the troopers around the bonfire lost his head and fell to the ground. To my shock, the rest of the troopers appeared unfazed by this. Hum, stump, and clap. Rebecca and I exchanged glances. Then I exchanged glances with Joseph while T1 looked at Bernardo. Then Bernardo and I looked at each other while Joseph and Rebecca exchanged glances. Then Rebecca looked at you-know-what. The point is, we were all shocked. This definitely had to be a trap. Bernardo snapped his fingers again and another clay trooper fell. Hum, stump, and clap. In quick succession, Bernardo snapped his fingers and more troopers tumbled. When there were barely five clay troopers left around the bonfire, they stopped stumping their feet and clapping their hands. They stood motionless as they hummed. A loud bang emanated from the building. Joseph cried out and fell to the ground. I gasped as I stood up. I don't know why I did that because I heard another bang and the next thing I knew, I was lying on my back with a harrowing pain in my chest. Rebecca helped me sit up as my chest burned with agony. Snipers! I heard Bernardo yell. Gunfire erupted all around me. Are you okay? Rebecca asked me. I am fine. Thanks to this vest, I said as I tried to catch my breath. Or maybe it was your lucky cap, she joked. I forced out a smile and looked over to Joseph. He had also been shot on the bulletproof vest. T1 was firing wildly at the building. So was Bernardo. After a while, they stopped. The gunfire ceased. I think we got them all, I heard Bernardo say. I got to my feet and saw all the troopers around the bonfire were dead. I looked at the building and couldn't see anything besides more broken windows. It was far too dark inside the building, but I knew the snipers had met their fate similar to their comrades who were around the fire. Well, there goes our plan of going unnoticed, I said. Bernardo snorted at me. He moved towards the entrance in a crouched stance, and we followed. Inside the building, it was pitch black. The air carried a heavy metallic smell. We used our flashlights to guide us. Rusting steel equipment, broken furniture, heaps of papers on the concrete floor, and cobwebs on the high ceiling of the building met us when we got in. Who would live in this filth? I heard Joseph ask. Follow me, I said as I took lead of the group. As I said, my vision was very clear. I knew exactly where to find Hector's hideout. If anyone else walked into the building, they wouldn't have been able to find anyone. That was because Hector and his team would be in the basement of the building. The only entrance into the basement was hard to find because it was on a sealed up wall. The wall could only be opened from the inside by the trooper managing who goes in and out of the hideout. Each time Hector or someone from his squad was coming in, they would communicate with the guiding trooper by a special knock on the wall. A knock my vision also showed me. I led the group to the exact wall with the basement entrance. I knocked on the wall three times, then stopped. Two times, then stopped. And six times, then stopped. I could see the awe in Joseph, Rebecca, and Bernardo's faces as the wall parted ways. I still had no idea if T1 was shocked or not because of his mask, but I assumed he was because this was pretty awesome. Since I was the only one who knew there was a trooper on the other side of the wall, I was the quickest to shoot the head of the entrance guardian. 
Joseph took the troopers' weapons, and we went down the corridor with concrete stairs, which spiraled into the basement. The basement was different from the execrable condition from the floor above. Marble floors, bright fluorescent lights, artistic wallpaper, and top-of-the-line paintings decorated the place. It had long corridors with doors on either side, which I knew led to the private room of Hector's remaining executive team. Girls giggling or TV noises could be heard from behind the different doors of the labyrinth of corridors of the basement. Bernardo wanted to take down all of Hector's cartel, so he argued that we would apprehend Hector's subordinates first. But I just wanted to find Bathine. We must have wasted five to ten minutes arguing on what to do next until Bernardo decided to stay with T1 and bust Hector's team, while Rebecca, Joseph, and I found the demon and Hector. I didn't like this plan. I didn't want us to split up, but Bernardo was immovable, even when I told him Hector was with Bethim and we could really use his help in taking both of them down. Anyway, I led Joseph and Rebecca to a red double door at the far end of the last corridor. This is it, I said. In this room we find Hector and Bethim. Are you ready? Yeah, I am. I got my lucky pants and claws, so I've got nothing to worry about. Joseph said as he checked his gun. Rebecca nodded. I passionately kissed her on the lips just in case something happens to either one of us, and this may be the last time we are together. I only stopped kissing her when Joseph began complaining that we should get a room. I kicked the door open and we ran into the room. The four clay troopers in there were startled by our invasion and couldn't react quickly enough. All three of us were already firing at their heads as they tried to reach for their weapons. To our surprise, they didn't go down. The bullets bounced off their ski mask heads like tennis balls off a wall. The troopers marched towards us in a manner that said, We're about to hurt you badly. Rebecca pulled out a crossbow. She shot an arrow right at the neck of one of the troopers. The arrow nicked the trooper's head right off. The remaining three troopers had taken out Glock pistols from inside their suits, but before they could fire, Rebecca dispatched three more arrows with lightning speed. The arrows lacerated the troopers' heads, leaving their decapitated bodies to pratfall. I then heard slow clapping coming from across the room. Seated on a blue sofa in a dark corner of the room was a man. He had long, swayed black hair. A thin black beard formed a square around his mouth. The top three buttons of his silky golden shirt were undone, showing his hairy chest. He wore tight black pants with brown cowboy boots. The two half-naked girls on either side of the couch were cowering at the edges of the sofa. How impressive, Rebecca. You have grown since the last time I saw you. You are now braver, too. Those were some of my top troopers you killed, he said as he gestured to the headless troopers lying on the blue and white carpet in front of us. You also survived my little trap outside the building. I am very impressed. Tell me, who are your friends? I am Joseph, but you can call me Joey or Jojo. The man chuckled and turned his gaze to me. And who is this serious-looking hombre? It doesn't matter. It's over, Hector. We caught you. You're going to jail, Rebecca yelled. Hector looked over at her with a great deal of annoyance. Try and keep it down, will you? I have guests, Hector said as he looked at a multicolored, bearded curtain on the other side of the room. I could hear soft chanting from beyond the curtain, and I knew that was where Bethim was being treated. You really think you have caught me? You are just as naive as your father. You think you are the first person to find me down here? 
I have a lot of enemies and people who are jealous of what I have accomplished. A lot of these people have come through these doors hoping to kill or arrest me. All of them have met a gruesome death, and I know you will too, Rebecca. I raised both my pistols and pointed them at Hector. How do you expect to do that? We have you outnumbered. Hector sniggered as he got up and began pacing back and forth in front of his sofa. I used to think like you. In fact, that is how I built my empire, with numbers. Thousands and thousands of these troopers I have created, thinking this is a real power. But I changed my line of thinking. It is not always about numbers, hombre. It's about size. Hector laughed as he slowly began unbuttoning the rest of his shirt. Tell me, how many clay troopers did you come across before you got here? Not a lot, huh? By this point, he had unbuttoned all of his buttons and was still pacing back and forth. It's never about numbers, hombre. No, no, no. Size is the true power. I stopped working on troopers a long time ago and began working on myself. I then realized something. Hector was getting bigger and taller. His height was slowly increasing and his weight was gradually expanding. The sleeves of his shirt were starting to rip as his arms grew to a bulky size. His tight pants had shredded to torn shorts due to his enlarging legs. The girls who were on the sofa with him fled out of the room. What the hell's going on? I whispered to Joseph. I think Geppetto has Pinocchioed himself, he replied with worry on his face. I don't need these half-witted troopers to protect me when I can protect myself. Hector was now tall enough for his head to reach the ceiling. He had to bend over to avoid his temple from knocking on the roof. An orchestra of writhing and snapping bones filled the room. As his arms grew longer and his whole body to the extent that his knuckles were reaching the floor, he still kept pacing left and right. I have been working on myself to make sure that when I run into your father, I would tear him apart. But that joy was taken away from me. Don't worry too much about this because as long as he's dead, that's good for me. Anyway... I knew you were still alive, Rebecca, so I waited for us to meet again. I didn't think you would be stupid enough to come to me on your own will, but I guess luck is on my side. I will enjoy removing your limbs one by one, kind of like your father did to my empire. My mouth was now ajar to the creature Hector had morphed into. In a way, he looked like a gorilla. He was even occasionally beating his chest like one. He was pacing back and forth, but moving with both legs and long hands like a gorilla. Everything about him resembled a gorilla, except he lacked the excessive hair. He looked like a well-shaven King Kong. Even his whole torso had become inhumanely extensive. His firm chest bulged out from his body, and an atypical large six-pack covered his stomach. I assume Hector had played around with too much dark magic and clay, for him to be able to transform into this creature that looked like the Hulk's distant relative. Without warning, Hector flailed his gigantic arm and smacked Joseph across the room. While I was still shocked with what happened to Joseph, I felt a clout on the side of my head. It was like I had been hit by a bus. My body flew like a bullet and slugged into a wall hard enough to leave various cracks in it. My head ached and my ears were ringing. The haze I was in was hard to shake off, but through my blurry eyes I saw Rebecca's body flying across the room. 
Then I saw Hector trotting with his hands and legs towards her fallen body. He obviously wanted her more than the rest of us. The pain my body felt was unbearable, but I forced myself to get up. I couldn't let this Shrek doppelganger kill Rebecca, but as I got to my feet, I heard a snap, then a bang, and I heard Hector scream as he held his cheek. Bernardo was now standing at the entrance door. He snapped his fingers twice and two bullets cannoned into Hector's face. Blood spraying out from the mafia boss's right cheek as he stumbled back, but he didn't go down. Instead, he ran and picked up one of the ski masks of his beheaded troopers from the floor. Hector quickly put on the mask on his still normal-sized head, which hadn't expanded with the rest of his body. Bernardo snapped his fingers again, but the bullet bounced off Hector's head. The ski mask was bulletproof. Hector took two giant steps towards the finger-snapping agent, and his right palm enveloped Bernardo's waist. Hector lifted up Bernardo, grabbed his right arm, and snapped it like a twig. I could hear the rift of Bernardo's bones from where I stood. Bernardo screamed. Hector threw the agent into a wall and was about to stomp on him when his leg was wang with countless bullets. T1 had entered the room with his suit covered with blood and his machine gun firing savagely at Hector's leg. The flesh on Hector's leg began peeling off like a snake's old skin. Hector moved quickly to knock the gun off T1's hands. He lifted up the first made clay trooper and brutishly threw him into the floor. He then ran his chubby knee into T1's back. There was a cracking sound from T1's body that could only mean that his plastic and clay body was breaking. You traitor! You should have been the first to die! Hector screamed. He then picked up T1's body and placed the alpha trooper's head into his left palm. T1's head looked like a golf ball in Hector's colossal hand. Hector then crushed T1's head with his right fist. There was a squishing sound from between Hector's hands as blood and brain matter flew all over the room. No! I heard Bernardo scream from where he was lying. Hector threw away T1's lifeless body like a piece of trash. A deluge of bullets instantly conked on Hector's left leg again. Joseph had got up, recovered his gun, and was attacking Hector through what seemed to be his weak point. Hector screamed as the bullets rent his leg by the knee. Hector's skin kept peeling off until his leg came clean off and blood poured down from where his limb was severed. He squalled and fell down on the knee of his remaining good leg. He punched the floor with both fists in a fit of rage and the ground quaked. Hector crawled with his hands towards Joseph, who was still depositing bullets in several parts of the mafia leader's body. Hector grabbed Joseph and tossed him into the air. Joseph hit the roof and as his body was falling back down, he was head-butted by Hector. Joseph flew and crashed into a wall, which he left dented. Hector groaned as he got up to stand on one leg. He was still staring at the blood pouring out of his body, and I took the opportunity to pick up my two pistols. I decided to use the same plan of action as Joseph and T1 and attacked Hector's remaining leg with bullets. I fired at Hector's right leg with the hope of also chopping it off, but he began hopping up and down like a disabled kangaroo in an attempt to avoid my bullets. Due to his abnormal height, his every leap made his head knock on the ceiling. Hey, stop that, he shouted at me as he skipped up and down. Rebecca suddenly got up from where she had fallen. I screamed at her to shoot at Hector's leg. She picked up a machine gun and let bullets fly towards the capering Hector. He kept pleading for us to stop as he backed away from us. Since his head kept smashing against the roof as he hopped like a bunny, the ceiling eventually cracked and came down on him. 
Debris of metal and concrete continuously flew down on him until he was buried under piles of rubble. Scraps of metal and slacks of bricks rained down from the ceiling as a crack snaked its way across the roof of the room. The two chandeliers of the room shattered to the ground. So did the paintings on the walls. I grabbed Rebecca and we coiled on the floor and prayed for the best. Are you okay? I asked her after the metal and brick storm had ended. Rebecca slowly got up, but before she could, we heard whispering. Our heads turned in unison towards the sound. Since the chandeliers had fallen, the only source of light in the room was from a few Victorian lamps mounted on the walls. In the poor lighting, I saw three people dressed in ragged, long black cloaks standing in front of a beaded curtain. The heads of the people were completely covered with their robe hoods. A dark humanoid figure was standing behind them. It was whispering something with the three cloaked people. All of a sudden, the trio in tattered robes began running towards us. I reached for my revolver, which was tucked in a holster strapped around my waist. Before I could shoot at the three assailants, Joseph came out of nowhere and he tackled them all to the ground. When I say tackle, I don't mean an American football or rugby style. His tackle was more something like is considered dangerous in the world of soccer. He was sliding on the floor with both legs in the air. He walloped the knees of all three of the cloaked people and they fell to the ground. Joseph got up and poured holy water all over them. They shrieked and they retched out black slime. When they passed out, I then took a good look at the dark figure from the curtain. It was just about the same time I started smelling the stench of a dead skunk. The figure's skin was black, black like burnt toast. Its body was inundated with red cracks. In place of his eyes was a red symbol, a symbol I knew all too well. A square with a circle inside it and a vertical line inside the circle. It was like the symbol was stamped in the front of the figure's eye sockets. Even in that opaque basement, I could tell it was Craig. Well, it was his body. I could also tell the symbol on his eyes were that of Bethim. Now I'm coming for you, handsome, Joseph yelled as he sprinted towards Bethim. The demon raised his hands and a red bolt of electricity danced between his fingers. He released the electricity with a jerk of his hand and the current hit Joseph in the chest. Joseph flew like a dove onto a pile of rubble ten feet from where we stood. I aimed my revolver at Bethim, and Rebecca did the same with her crossbow. We could barely get a shot at the demon before bolts of red electricity zapped us. Rebecca was thrown somewhere around where I last seen Bernardo. I was chunked into the same wall I had hit earlier. My body was stiff with agony and my chest was burning like I took an oversized shot of vodka. For several seconds, I twitched on the floor like I was having an epilepsy attack. When the pain began subsiding, I noticed Bethim was smiling down at me. You really thought you can come here and take me on? I'm not your regular kind of demon, dear. <coughs> you have no idea how powerful I am. I can end you and your friends with a snap of my fingers, but I'm not going to do that. <coughs> you interrupted my healing session and knocked out my healers. So now I'm going to take time beating the crap out of you, Bethim said. Leave him alone, I faintly said. What? Craig, leave him alone. You're hurting him, I said a bit louder. Bethim let out a guffaw that was soon interrupted with more coughs. <laughs> He's hurting himself, dear. If he stopped resisting me so much, I wouldn't look this bad. 
<laughs> As Bathim said this, he was forming an electric ball the size of a bowling ball with his hands. That was a very clever trick you pulled on me back at your parents' house, by the way. I am sure if I was any other demon, you could have killed me. But as I said, dear, I'm not any other demon. You hurt me badly, I'll admit. But that's nothing compared to what I did to your parents or what I'm going to do to you. Bathim lifted the electric ball over his head and assumed a stance of a baseball pitcher. He grinned, showing me his blackened teeth as he prepared to toss the ball of electricity at me. My body was still weak, and I couldn't move for the life of me. I dreaded the experience of being struck with Bethim's power again. Just as he was about to throw it at me, he stopped. What are you doing? You, you, you can't stop me, Bethim said to himself. You, you fool. I, I will end you. Do you know who I... Before he could go on conversing with himself, he threw the electric ball to the floor, and there was a loud explosion. The ground convulsed and I covered my eyes as dust and several air fragments waft in the air. More debris fell from the ceiling, and I was fortunate enough none of it landed on me. The next thing I saw was Bathim lying on the floor. That's when I realized something. Bathim wasn't talking with himself. He was talking with Craig. My friend was still there, and much like he did when we were growing up, he was protecting and helping me. I noticed Bathim slowly lift his head. I knew this was my only chance. I finally mastered the strength to get up, take out the Egyptian knife, and charge towards the haze demon. I climbed on top of Bathim and delivered several blows to his face. It's your fault, Bathim said in between punches he was receiving. He began laughing, and it became obvious to me that my punches were not hurting him as I expected. They were probably hurting Craig more than Bathim. I held the dagger a few inches from his cheek. Now there was a look of pure trepidation on Bathim's face. I think he knew the dagger and what it can do. Wait, don't you want to know why I possessed your friend or why I wanted to possess you so badly? He asked. I don't care, I replied. Before I can make the dagger touch his soot-black skin, he screamed one word that made me pause. Daniel! I froze for a moment as I stared at the demon in its unnatural eyes. It was like the name it said had hit all of my pressure points. So many memories of my past flashed through my mind at that moment. I was so shocked, I wasn't sure what to do. I grabbed my revolver, used its butt to pound on Bathim's forehead, and he passed out. I looked around the room. Joseph was still knocked out cold, and Bernardo was buried somewhere in the rubble. Rebecca was coming out of unconsciousness. She was slowly beginning to lift her head. I had to move fast, and I did. I lifted Bathim onto my shoulders and ran out of the room. I ignored Rebecca as she called out my name. I ran out of the basement and out of the building with the speed of a jackrabbit. I ran up to one of the black vans just outside of the building. I threw Bathim into the back. I climbed up front and drove off into the sunrise. I felt like crap for letting my friends down, and worse of all, for abandoning them. But I couldn't worry too much about that. I had to find out what this demon knew about my brother. Then to Daniel. Why the hell was Craig pricked? Part 5 by Sunfred Well, folks, that's our story tonight. Rothrick and I hope you enjoyed it. We sure had a great time bringing it to you, and we really appreciate you listening. Tune in next week when we bring you another chilling tale from the dark chamber. And just a note, 
If you are an aspiring author and you want your story read here on Tales from the Dark Chamber, send us a note at talesfromthedarkchamber at gmail.com. If it creeps old Rothrick out enough, we'll air it. Also, subscribe to our podcast for notification of our next new episode, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Tales from the Dark Chamber and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If you want your story recorded for your own use or just want to have it, check out my Fiverr gig at www.fiverr.com forward slash Woody underscore G. That's www.fiverr.com forward slash Woody underscore G. Look for the creepy pasta gig. You can order there. And again, folks, thank you for listening tonight.